0: In non essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, here's Dean.
1: And thank you, Rachel. And thank you who have tuned in today for joining us for another edition of In All Things. And we're just grateful that you have honored us with uh, the stewardship of your time, that as you're driving to work or maybe as you're uh, uh, just walking around the neighborhood or uh, perhaps. Well, taking a bike ride, I don't know. However you listen to your podcast and whatever your favorite podcast platform is, we're grateful that you have tuned in to yet another edition. We drop these every Friday, of course, and uh, some good traction out there getting the word. We're over 5,600 downloads, and we're not even a year into doing this podcast. And I was traveling recently in Puerto Rico to visit some of our churches there, and they were just excited listeners uh, to in all things. In fact, the one elder... Uh, who picked me up from the airport, an incredible guy, just said, you know, I I listen to these uh, every t- day, and, and then I send them out all to the elders in our church, and they listen to them. So just so grateful, and so a shout-out to our friends at Westminster Biomone and uh, Puerto Rico, so grateful to have you join us, as well as everyone across the United States and the and the Caribbean. We're great to have you here. Our podcasts um, this fall are being brought to you by, this late summer and fall are being brought to you by two of our strategic priorities in the EPC. The first is church planning, and the second is church health. Church planning, of course, the EPC has had a history of being invested in church planters and church planting, and it is our dream that every one of our 630-ish congregations would be either a parent, a patron, or partner, and that, uh, that means they can either be as a parent a church that plants a church, and we're going to be privileged today to be talking to someone who has been involved in that process, really in a number of different capacities that really give a, a ton of background and legacy in the EPC. Um, sometimes churches are patrons, that is to say they're financially supporting church planting efforts either in their presbytery or in their community. And then there are churches that, beyond being just a, a parent or a patron, may be uh, finding some kind of partnership where they're working with other churches perhaps to plant a church. And perhaps uh, your congregation is not able to plant a church by itself, but with two, three, four, five other churches, you could do some collaborative work uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ and help plant a church in a community that is underreached for the gospel. Um, EPC World Outreach always tells us we go to the hard places, and there are some pretty hard places, even in the United States, uh, to reach for the gospel. And to be able to do that uh, collaboratively is a big part of what the Evangelical Presbyterian Church is about. We believe that uh, our mission is to carry out the Great Commission, and uh, there's no better way to do that in the form of a church plant. Also, we're excited about having a number of initiatives taking place in our uh, church health strategic priority. Of course, the one that's been gaining the most traction of late is our Three Circles Evangelism tool. Um, that is getting a lot of traction all over the country, and we're hearing story after story after story of people coming to Christ uh, through people, ordinary people like you and me, using that simple tool uh, to be able to share their faith with others and uh, if you're interested in learning more about that you just go to epc.org and uh, look for the tab at the top of the page that says what we do the very first thing on the drop down will be about evangelism and there's all kind of resources there Um, there's things there that you can do curriculum for your children Uh, there's videos there's training there's uh, there's an app on your phone there's all kind of ways in which we can make this tool accessible it's starting to happen and uh, as i like to say we're we're hoping the Lord will enable us to put the E back in EPC, and that is uh, for evangelism. So thank you for being attentive to those things and connected to those things and sharing the word with those things. Now, speaking of evangelism and speaking of church planning, uh, we're uh, really delighted to have uh, with us in the studio today uh, Pastor Michael Flake. Michael is um, the lead pastor of Story Hill EPC Church in the Davidson area of North Carolina, which is just a little bit north of Charlotte, one of the most beautiful towns if you ever get the chance to see. It, it's just drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, Davidson College or University, I guess, now is probably there, and Michael is the, the lead pastor there, but Michael has a, a long and storied history for a young guy in the EPC, and we're going to get into that in a little bit so you can get a feel relationally for what it looks like to, to kind of grow up in the EPC uh, come out of what is uh, one of our most amazing church plants ever, uh, and and then go to another church plant, and then start another church plant. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so, pretty good summary. <laughs> there you go. So, Michael, welcome doing all things. Happy to be here. So, help us to get to know you a little bit. Um, uh, Michael just joined our national leadership team and is going to bring a ton of background and experience and insight and wisdom to help with that. But uh, beyond uh, your time on the NLT, tell us let's start with your wife and your children and where you grew up and just give us a little bit of a story of your background.
2: I'm married to Mandy since 2012. We have two daughters, Indiana and Cora May. We call them Indian Cora. India's five, Cora is three. Indy starts kindergarten this year, so a lot of changes in our household. Cora is too smart for her own good. She is at that three-year-old stage where everything is a negotiation, and (laughs) she takes no prisoners in negotiation. All right. So that's where we are. Um, Indy, unbeknownst, well, she didn't ask our permission. She just did it. She was born with an extra chromosome, and so she has Down syndrome, which has been a fun adventure for us. Yeah. Unexpected, but... Full of full of highlights. Yeah, she's
1: full of life. I've I've seen Indy. She is dynamic and a force to be reckoned with, and you guys are fantastic parents. So well, tell us a little bit about you're a young guy, you're thirty eight years old, and yet you've only ever known the EPC.
2: That's right. So I'm actually younger than the EPC. My family became part of the EPC in nineteen eighty eight when my parents joined the core team that was starting a new church in Memphis. Second Presbyterian Church had Uh, sent out its executive pastor, Craig Strickland, to start a new church, which became Hope Presbyterian Church, now called Hope Church Memphis. And so we were in on the ground floor of that. I was four years old at the time, turned five the week they had their first public service. My job was to go upstairs and be quiet so the parents could figure out how to start a new church. So I grew up at Hope in Memphis. Uh, I've denominationally only known the EPC. And so it's been a super formative experience for me, you know, really came to own my faith at Hope, really sensed a call to pastoral ministry there, and then at the age of 18, went away from home to Davidson College, where I connected with Lake Forest Church, another church in our denomination, pastored by Mike Moses. One of my good friends, Mike, is uh, had actually cut his teeth in church planting by being at Hope, so he had been at Hope for a handful of years to learn how to plant a church, Got to know him there, knew he was pastoring a church somewhere near Davidson. Turned out it was at the YMCA a mile down the road. It was a four-year-old church, and so got really engaged there. And then after seminary, found myself serving at Lake Forest as a missions pastor when Mike and the session were interested in following through on their DNA desire to become a multiplying church themselves. And so when they were looking for a potential church planter, I raised my hand and said I'd be interested in planting a church in Davidson. There, they moved from that YMCA about seven, eight miles down the road. And so the thought there still was deep legacy for Lake Forest in the Davidson area. And so to be sent back there and to start a new church was uh, made a lot of sense and uh, was a deep desire in my own heart. So let's just trace that back again. Second Presbyterian
1: Church, is, which is one of our historic I mean, we've had General Assembly there. The leadership that's come out of there has just been incredible. It's a deep, rich history in the EPC and has a a prolific history of planting churches, particularly in the Memphis area, plants Hope Church. Hope Church becomes our denomination's largest church. Largely thanks to me. (laughs) I was going to say that. I was absolutely going to say that. Your parents are on the core team that plants that you go off to college connect with a guy who cut his teeth at hope church planting what becomes the lake forest family of churches mm-hmm. and as you're sent into the davidson area to plant what becomes story hill church so you're the you're the you're the great grandson or the great great grandson or something like that something of, like that. of second that i mean that's a that's dna that's church mm-hmm. planting dna i mean what for, for a denomination, Michael, so you're now on the NLT, you're starting to think at, at, at a kind of a 30,000, 40,000 foot level. What does it mean to have that kind of DNA seeded multi-generationally? And, and, and how does that uh, affect church planting?
2: In a lot of ways, I am the, this is going to, for people who know the scriptures, I don't mean this to sound conceited. I'm the first fruits of a lot of work that people are putting into this. So in the 2011 General Assembly, I had a chance to speak to this and say, I've made some joke to the assembly, like, I can't wait till we have a networking lunch for fourth generation church planters. (laughs) And the assembly laughed. And I said, well, that was not really a joke. Uh, And I think that's happening more and more because, again, so much of this is caught more than taught. I find myself just leaning into the things I watched Craig do, You know Eli, who's been at Hope for years, he did. I've learned a lot from Rufus Smith, who's now the senior pastor there. Learned a lot from Mike Moses, Mitch White, Gabe Swing. These were all people I interacted with through Hope, through Lake Forest. Even if the names don't mean anything to the folks listening, it is that rich sense of family. And uh, it's a family where church planting is becoming more and more our DNA. We know it has to be. We know that's where the research and development of church has happened. We know that's where people more likely come to Christ. And we know that's where older and more established churches can really be revitalized learning by how the young folks do it. And I'm now at the place where I realize there's a full generation between me and the college students that we work with so closely. So now I'm having to dial in to the 20-year-olds to ask how they would do it differently than I would do it. And the answer is they do it differently than I would do it. And so I've had to adjust some things, even at 38, uh, to feel like I I can continually be a faithful witness to the grace and truth of Jesus in our little corner of the world.
1: So you piqued my interest there a little bit. Let's push pause on the replicating DNA, church planting stuff. We'll come back to that. What are the differences? You're 38 years old, I mean, uh, and they're 18 to 24, 25 years old. There is a gap there. What are the differences you're seeing as you're trying to reach that generation?
2: Yeah, so I, I'm the top of the millennials or the bottom of Gen X, depending on who you ask. I feel top of the millennials because I get a lot of trophies. And so given to me by my boomer parents. So I very much get the sort of the, the, the good of the church growth movement, the reaction against that that Gen X did. And then so I'm more formed by that. What I hear by the, the younger folks asking for is take a moment in your sermon and do the apologetics work which I would have said, you know, that's a class. That's uh, something we do outside of Sunday. But they're being so inundated with regular messages on social media, you know, TikTok, those sort of things, that faith is dumb, the church is dumb, uh, the Bible's dumb. And so in a recent sermon, for instance, uh, when we were preaching on the John 8 passage, Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, my view would have been just preach the passage I know there's a note at the front that says, hey, this wasn't in all the original manuscripts. Deal with that somewhere else. Don't deal with that in the sermon. Right. The 20-year-olds are... Get, into
1: textual discrepancies and, and what... Nestle's don't in the get nestle. into that in yeah, a don't. sermon.
2: Uh, the 20-year-olds are like, no, please get into that in a sermon. We want to know that. Other people are going to tell us that and stretch it into, well, the Bible's not reliable. Look, they even say so in the Bible. Hmm. We need you as our pastor to tell us like why the Bible is reliable mm. and what you know about this passage. So, so I, I basically preached the sermon I would have preached. I stopped and said, that was the sermon. Now this is overtime. And I went into overtime and explained the textual variance and all that, as best you can in 10 minutes in a sermon. Right. You, you get what I'm saying. Right. And then in a way that said, your questions are welcome, your doubts are welcome, and we... In- I encourage you to welcome God and people who love God into those doubts and questions. Hmm. I got more feedback from 20 something year olds on that sermon. And I would ask, did you like the first part of the second part? And they'd say, mm, most of the second part, they just wanted to hear that. And they needed a little invitation that they could have questions and have doubts, but that was not the goal. That was not the end point, but it was an acceptable, you know, way station. Yeah. So.
1: That's fascinating. Well, thank you. I, yeah, uh, you got my got my brain kind of spinning here a little bit, and maybe there's a follow-up podcast at one day where we can go deeper and a dive on that because I do think, uh, from generation to generation, there are nuances and differences, and sometimes we don't appreciate. And I guess uh, an old guy like me thinks a, a young guy like you is is right there with him, but yet there's that gap there too where you're having to exegete the next generation that's coming up behind you so that you can speak the gospel to them. So mm-hmm. that's very cool. So um, we have about 53 church plants and uh, you've, you heard me in the, in the opening talk about how Tom Ricks and our national church planting team are hoping that every one of our other congregations would be either a parent, partner, or patron. You now have arrived at a point at Story Hill where you are, have become a localized congregation. You, you're still have a lot of history with the Lake Forest family of churches, but you are now a standalone congregation. How has that DNA that's been passed down to you and this idea, parent, partner, patron, how is that starting to develop or unfold now in Story Hill Church?
2: Great question. So from our earliest days, and this is that DNA, it's a DNA level thing. We had partnered with our mother church, uh, which at the time was Lake Forest in Huntersville, it's since become the whole Lake Forest family, but we partnered with them to plant the Lake Forest Church. that's in on the west side of the lake. We're all around a lake. Uh, we're on the east side. They're kind of on the south side. We've partnered together for the west side of the lake. Aaron Gibson is the pastor there. We've recently pastored together or partnered together to plant a Spanish-speaking congregation, El Buen Samaritano, the Good Samaritan, close to Lake Forest, Huntersville, the original site large Spanish-speaking population, highly underserved by the church. So we've partnered together there, and we've also partnered together in planting a more multiracial congregation in the university city area of Charlotte. Pastor Terrell Huntley there. It's Pastor Victor Leal at El Buen and Pastor Terrell Huntley there at U-City. And so they're both a couple years old. They started right before or right during the pandemic. So we have had the privilege. We haven't been able to take the lead on one of these churches yet. But we've been able to partner with our mother church to start and expand those plants. The other interesting dynamic we've had is because we do have a lot of Davidson college students who come and are part of us during their time at the college and they go away. We view ourselves kind of as a greenhouse where hopefully everybody grows. But some people grow there and other people go off to bless or catalyze other ecosystems. So one of our students from the early years is now going to plant a church in the Waynesville area of North Carolina it's it's not an EPC church. It's you know we're Kingdom people. We love Brody and the work he's doing. We are gonna we're sort of patroning there. He can always call me. He has my number. He can you know we'll do that. But we're he has his team in place. But we're more a patron to the work he's right. doing there in Waynesville, uh, Gateway Church. It launches September 18th. Okay. So those are the three big ones we're working with right now: Inn, U City, and and Gateway.
1: So do you see yourself being a parent church at some point?
2: We do. Right now our, our energies are going towards a building in Davidson, which is fairly all-consuming. There's not been a new church to put down roots in Davidson since 1957. So there's been a lot of civic roadblocks and just other spiritual roadblocks to that. But yes, the goal would be to be parents ourselves and whether that means in our own region, Or in places like Davidson, these have been the two things that we have been sort of prayerfully exploring. So we know that there's a a goodness to planting in your own backyard. There's surely people who need to know Jesus in your own backyard, even in, you know, the south, the southeast. Although Davidson is not really, and and the surrounding areas, is, is not the buckle of the Bible Belt by any stretch of the imagination. We meet so many, what I would call, almost pre-Christian people who don't know anything about Jesus or the gospel. And so we have to start with, we can't over-assume what people know anymore, which mm-hmm. is important. But we also have an affinity for places like, you know, Lexington, Virginia, where Washington and Lee is, or Burlington, Vermont, where the University of Vermont is. There are these places where you'd be happy to have 50 people show up at a campus ministry event. You would with, would. With, throw confetti that that was the most you know, well-attended campus ministry event ever. And so we have an affinity for those kind of places and feel like we've, by God's grace, sort of cracked some of the code of how to do good ministry mm. in these small college towns. Mm. And so how to do a totally non-geographic plant like that, it's fraught with challenges. And so we would, we would want to get off on the right foot to do it, but we prayerfully consider if there's a way or if there might be people who would be interested in that kind of thing, and we would have some expertise and some uh, funds to bring to that kind of an endeavor. Yeah,
1: planting in a, in a university or college town is, is its own kind of unique animal with all kinds of interesting challenges. Typically, those communities are more progressive and pre-Christian probably in a lot of respects and, and even kind of intellectually antagonistic towards um, the faith. So you can see the reason why those students would be interested in some apologetics. But there's also great opportunity there. Right? I mean, uh, I cut my teeth in campus ministry and know that the impact of being able to um, be involved in a student's life at that age, at that time, as they're f- forming and making decisions. So there, there's some really interesting strategy about how to reach the next generation for Christ and thinking about church planning in those kind of communities.
2: In some ways, my patron saint is Ambrose. Augustine becomes one of the most famous influential theologians of all time but he comes to Christ through the ministry of Ambrose. He is at the university studying to become a professor of rhetoric, Augustine is, when he is struck by this pastor, Ambrose, Bishop Ambrose of Milan, and Ambrose, he he notes of him that uh, he doesn't agree with him, but he cannot argue with his fatherly kindness. He's struck by the usefulness of his sermons, how his sermons address questions Augustine had, and then last but not least, how, he, he had a desire to care for the poor of Milan. And so these things strike Augustine about Ambrose, and over time he warms up to the Christian faith by warming up to Ambrose. Mm. And so you think about the influence or the impact that a pastor or, a, or just a person, anybody can have on a college student, anybody who's younger in their faith or maybe antagonistic towards the faith, but if they could come to Christ, if they could grow up into maturity in Christ, the impact they would have the impact that you can have on even one life so i feel like our church if our church can do any semblance of what ambrose and that church in milan did then then we'll have, have made a positive impact that we won't know the full extent of ambrose would have died not knowing the full extent of what uh, augustine's ministry would become so it keeps us moving on it keeps us <laughs> pressing forward well let's uh,
1: turn the corner here a little bit because we're kind of coming down the home stretch but i have to ask you one of the things that impresses me about you, Michael, is that you're not only a, a great pastor and a strategic thinker and church planter, but you're a, you're really a churchman. You're not so taken up by the ministry of the local church that you forget that you're connected to something larger and that there's some give and take there in terms of your you're receiving and you're giving and you're contributing and you're leading. And you've been the chair of our ministerial vocations committee at the national level, which is the committee that really looks at leadership and ordination standards and how people become pastors and things like that. And now uh, you're stepping into the national leadership team. Can you speak to those who are listening about the importance of being involved in the larger church, whether that's their presbytery, maybe a ministerium in their community or the denomination as a whole, and then the benefit. So the importance and the benefit of being involved in the larger church.
2: Absolutely. I I heard something recently that described the larger churches often becomes both our red blood cells and our white blood cells Mm -hmm. for the health of our church. And I found both to be true. I, I think we're, we're fortunate to be in a denomination that sees the local church as the site of ministry. The presbytery exists to encourage and hold accountable the local church, the general assembly to encourage and hold accountable the presbyteries and thus the local church. And so, that that structure and order is is good and right to me. I had always felt the need or desire. It's easy to kind of sit on the sidelines and say, Oh, I wish they this was different. Oh, you know, my presbytery's not good at that. Oh, the General Assembly's not any good at this. But I'm part of that. I'm part of the Presbytery. I'm part of the General Assembly. I don't much care when people sit on the sidelines of Story Hill and, you know, lob grenades of what could be different. <laughs> and so which they don't do by and large, praise God. I, I, I felt convicted somewhere around 2011-2012 to be part of the larger piece not just showing up at meetings when I was able to but really investing some of my 10-15% time we all have into the work of the denomination
1: but you're a young father you've got two kids and you're planting you've planted a church that's now on a building campaign like arguably if i were to look at your schedule the it would be make sense for you to go i don't have time for
2: that just yet you do you make time for what's important. That's right. So that was a joint decision Mandy and I made. Uh, we have to limit the the exact scope of it. And I found I had to knock on a few doors before I found the right one and the one that opened. And that should, would be just, just be an encouragement to people, is whether in the local church or in the, in the larger denominational presbytery or general assembly. Sometimes the first thing you try is not the right thing. And you just have to knock on a few doors and, and you'll find the right thing and maybe I'm just glutton for punishment, I don't know, but I have been really encouraged to see by serving in different sizes, courts of the church is the technical term, but the different size, uh, especially the general assembly level, the true uh, diversity of our denomination, that we are unified, even though we're not uniform. And uh, there's a great camaraderie we experienced in the ministry of vocation and in the national leadership team that I think speaks to the heart the soul of the EPC and we can argue all day about how we should structure ourselves or polity and that kind of thing though we don't argue it that much about it uh, but the real heart and soul of it is is life giving and uh, le- i leave every meeting with ooh, i should try that oh i sh-, you know and i hope others would would feel the same way of, of little uh, tidbits i drop
1: well, I can speak as one of those people that I feel that way. Uh, you drop a number of truth bombs and a number of thought bombs that I kind of sit there and go, ooh, I need to noodle that a little bit. And one of them you just did. I'm, in fact, I'm going to leave this conversation going, hmm, uh, unity but not uniformity. I need to unpack that a little bit more. I think that's really helpful. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time with us today. And if people wanted to learn more about Story Hill Church, where would they go?
2: They could go to storyhill.org. They could look up our music on Spotify or other places, You, Me, and the Bread. You, Me, and the Bread. You, Me, and the Bread. I love if it. If they want to give to a building in Davidson, storyhill.org.
1: Okay. You, you too can be a, uh, a patron uh, and help assist a, a growing church in a great area with a super pastor and leadership team. So, Michael, thank you again for being with us. Certainly. So, my friends, that concludes another episode of In All Things, and we're grateful for your time today. And if you found this podcast to be encouraging to you, would you do us the favor of liking us on social, uh, sharing it with your friends, and just getting the word out there so other people can hear. And uh, if nothing more than they get the chance to meet Michael Flake and get to know him a little bit today and uh, lean in a little bit more to the work at Story Hill Church, I think they will be blessed. So we end, as we always do, my friends, with the good word from God's word from Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things. Hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. That is our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name until the next time when we gather, I bid you grace and peace.
0: Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.